Hey fam, this is Steve Thompson, and today we'll be reading Matthew chapter 19, verses 13 through 30. One day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could lay his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. But Jesus said, Let the children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. And he placed his hands on their heads and blessed them before he left. Someone came to Jesus with this question, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Why ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There's only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones? The man said. And Jesus replied, You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. I've obeyed all these commands, the young man replied. What else must I do? Jesus told him, If you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved? They asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible. But with God, everything is possible. Then Peter said to him, we've given up everything to follow you. What will we get? Jesus replied, I assure you that when the world is made new, the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne. You who have been my followers will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be least important then, and those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. I can't help but get caught up by this juxtaposition, like the children on the one hand and a wealthy young man in his prime on the other. A person who is completely dependent on their parents for everything, food, shelter, clothing, companionship, everything, compared to a person who is completely independent and technically needs nothing and no one. One group is on a, in a very natural position to enter into the fullness of the kingdom right here and right now. The other group will need a miraculous intervention from the God of the universe in order to receive the one thing that they don't have and that they can't acquire by their own means. So it begs the question, where are we? Which group do we belong to? And as it seems with most things, I've got to imagine that there's a spectrum, right? I mean, very few people have managed to go all the way in or all the way out and be on those extremes. Oh, there are people there, I know. But I think the majority of us are trying to move toward the childlike side. But it's this process, a long one. It's imperfect. It's like the two steps forward, one step back kind of journey with lots of surrender points along the way. It's kind of an always relevant question as long as we're alive. Have I surrendered everything? 
Or are there things that I'm holding on to or that I've taken back or I've reverted to? It's the perennial problem of a living sacrifice that Paul alludes to our lives being in Romans chapter 12. But I believe Dwight Moody is credited with saying, the problem with the living sacrifice is that it keeps crawling off the altar. So honestly, to make this short and sweet and to refer back to Jeff Steele's message from the Sunday that he spoke on this passage, what area of your life today is Jesus asking you to take to the cross? Is there an issue, a relationship, a right that you're clinging to, a possession, a lifestyle choice, a thought pattern, an attitude that needs to be put to death? I'm going to sound like a broken record, but God has me in a season where my comfort needs to be put to death. In my life, I've made far too many choices and been moved to inaction instead of movement based on my desire to not make myself too uncomfortable. It's such a powerful impulse that most of the time I don't even think about it. I'm not even aware that I'm making the decision through this grid, but my new grid then has to make nearly every decision through that question, am I doing this or am I not doing this? Because saying yes or no is more comfortable. And if I am making my decisions based on that, it doesn't automatically and necessarily mean that that choice is, is wrong, but it does mean that I need to stop and I need to consider and I need to hear the Lord's voice on this. And if he says, putting down the comfortable thing is the thing I need to do, then that's the obedience factor, right? I would love to give you real life personal examples here. I, it's actually really difficult for me to hold it back because I think they're super helpful and I really want to live a life of authentic vulnerability in front of everyone. But I think that honestly, any examples that I come with are just going to end up being points of pride for me um, because I either, I, you know, I'm on the other side of it or I'm still going through it, but it, I don't know, it just, I don't need to go there and so sorry, but I will say, I do find it extremely helpful that the disciples asked the follow-up questions that they asked, in large part because them asking it uh, and looking like selfish little babies instead of me is not a bad outcome. But honestly, it's the question that I'm asking too deep down. I mean, they said, we've given up everything to follow you. What will we get? You know, that just sounds so self-centered. Now, I'd probably phrase it more like, Jesus, when you asked me to give up this or you asked me to change that or let go of this, I begrudgingly and with fits and starts handed them over to you. So is that it? Like, is the goal to just end up with no money, no possessions, no attachments? I feel like asking it that way makes it less crass or less baby-like, um, but it's the same question, isn't it? I'm just going to reiterate what Jesus then responds with. I assure you that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, maybe that part doesn't have any appeal and it seems like it's directed specifically at the 12 disciples, but everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake, and maybe I'll just add in, the comfort of certain things, the comfort of living life a certain way, the ability to do it 
one way versus another way. If you've given up those kinds of rights or those kinds of, made those kinds of sacrifices, they will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be the least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. So essentially, am I going to get anything out of this? It just seems like making life miserable is the goal. And Jesus's response is, you're going to have to trust me with this. It will all be worth it. If you sacrificed, if you've given up things that I've asked you to give up, you need to understand that I didn't just do it to be mean, just to make your life miserable or uncomfortable. Seems like I have to convince my kids of this sometimes as a dad. (laughs) But Jesus is saying, I asked you to do this because I know that on the other side of the cross and on the other side of death and discomfort and then experiencing the resurrection, you will be able to experience life so immense, so free, so wonderful, that whatever looks like sacrifice in this moment will look like freaking chump change, a no-brain transaction from that vantage point. And I need to hear that. I'm, I'm preaching to myself here. My discomfort now is a speck of sand compared to the future comfort God has for me. The way Paul translates Jesus in Romans 8, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. I guess it purely boils down to, do we believe that Jesus has a perspective on this that we can't possibly have or imagine? And are we willing to make decisions based on how he says it is over against how we see it and experience it, and rationalize it. I think this is why I catch myself turning uh, to the reminder in Hebrews. It says, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. So I'm going to turn that into a prayer for us as we ponder what Jesus is asking us to leave behind, to take to the cross, or to give over to him. God, would you clearly hold in front of us the joy that you have set up ahead of us. The sheer goodness that's on the other side of the cross you're asking us to come to. With that beckoning call, reach across the searing pain, the bruises and the scrapes, the sacrifices and discomforts to remind us that whatever it is, it is worth it. And then with that, would you walk us to the cross where we can allow you to pull it off from us? And would you do that work in us? We say, yes, your will, not ours, but we want it. We want what you have for us. We're going to trust that what you have on the other side is far better than we could possibly ask or imagine. And Lord, the thing that we're struggling with right now, we just hand over to you and say, here, take it. It's yours. So Lord, continue in your mercy and your grace to work that into us. This is a daily process, right? But this morning we're saying, here, take it. Take it over. You can have it. We say yes. In Jesus' name, and we thank you and we praise you. Amen.